Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Once Bitten Podcast. And joining me today is Paul Itoy from Sphinx Chat. And if you guys heard his original podcast debut appearance on the scene with Marty Bent, you're in for more of Paul's goodness. God damn, this guy's got some great takes on many things. And he's just super zen and completely... You, know, you can tell he's critically thinking everything through. He sees the future. And the way he came to Bitcoin is going to surprise many people because he came via... I'll leave that carrot dangling. Now, the first hour of this is just us brain splatting all over the place. Well, to be honest, Paul does the heavy lifting. Talking about alternative education and fiat food and finding a different way to live and conduct yourself and self-sovereignty and his upbringing... It's all amazing stuff. I really hope you enjoy this and reach out to Paul and check out Sphinx Chat afterwards. Before we get into the main interview, please make sure you head over to once-bitten.com. Check out the sponsors. You know who they are, I think. They're coinfloor.co.uk. They're relay.ch. They are, of course, over in the US, swanbitcoin.com. Use forward slash bitten for all of these URLs and you will get a little goodie and you can create your own affiliate link as well to share with your friends and family because there's going to be more people asking you about how to buy Bitcoin and stacking sats. Then get those sats in your control. Go to shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten. Get your hardware wallet. Bitbox02 Bitcoin only edition. Please guys, please do that. Here's Paul. Okay, we are good to go. Paul, great to have you on the show. Thank you, uh, thank you for taking the time to do this today. Good to finally chat after all this time. Yeah, we've been, we've been trying to set this up and uh, lots and lots of chats. We had that personal call with you um, way back when. Uh, we, man, we, we should have recorded that one. We, we've got a lot of uh, paths in the exact same direction. So I'm looking forward to this chat. And I listened to you on Marty and a big smile on my face and i know marty's said many times that that interview has gone down so well on um on his podcast so well done for that uh, it shows that there's a lot of interest in a lot of things that that you've experienced and what you're building so looking forward to this one i appreciate that but i do have to step out of the way right now and invite lauren to the mic to start the grilling. Hi. Hi, how are you? Good, you? Good, I should have invited my son. I think you guys are similar ages, so he would ask you questions as well about living over there versus living over here. Did you have a question? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I got two, actually. Ooh. So um, the first one is, why did you create Sphinx Chat? You're better at saying that than Marty is, so by the way. 
<laughs> we did we did pick the hardest name. It was a nickname for the project, but why did I create it? So, well, first of all, it's not just me. I had the idea, but there's a whole group of people making it. And in fact, I am not very helpful at making it itself. I just kind of coordinate the parts that come together. It's something you might be interested in as well. So there's someone who does the design and makes it look nice and makes it so that people can tap on it. And then there's other people who actually write the programming code and there's lots of different things. There's the code that runs on your phone, but there's also code that runs on the node. And then we also depend on the people who write the lightning protocol itself, which you've probably heard people talk about on the podcast before. And then there's underneath that, there's the whole Bitcoin part too. So if you think about it, the Bitcoin is the foundation of the building, lightning's the first floor, and then Sphinx is the third floor. So we made it to um, help people communicate in the same way that lets, Bitcoin lets you spend money and send value around the world without asking for anyone's permission. So what if you could do the same thing with communicating with you and your friends without having Facebook listen to what you're saying, or if someone doesn't like what you're saying or how you're saying it, you could get kicked off of any of those other platforms. So this is really taking the same idea behind um, sending value back and forth on Bitcoin without someone else's permission, and this is letting you talk to other people without anyone else's permission. So kind of going back to the way it used to be in the old days. Imagine if you were on a playground at school talking to a friend but instead of talking directly to the friend, you had to ask someone else, hey, could you tell my friend this message I want to tell them? And then every now and then, that person in the middle says, nah, I'm not going to transfer that message. I don't agree with you saying that to your friend. Wouldn't it be kind of weird? Wouldn't you just want to get rid of that person in the middle? Mm. No? Does that make any sense? Yes. It does, huh? Okay, mm -hmm. I, got head mm -hmm. I got a head nod. I got a head nod out of you. You, you, you did. Um, That's good. One, one thing quickly, Paul. I think your, your mic on your earphones is just catching your zip. Uh, oh, so, uh, okay. Let me take that off. It's actually freezing yeah. in our office here. So <laughs> right. I'm wearing a sweater and a sweater on the outside, so I'll take that off. All right, cool. Yeah, okay. that, that might help us out. All right, so excellent. So now you understand what, uh, what Paul's trying to do. What was your mm -hmm. second question? My second question, what is a sphinx? sphinx? That's a great question. I think, I'm not an expert, but I think it's that half cat or lion thing in England. Have you seen that? I'm not in England, but in Egypt, kind of the, related to the pyramids. So I, I believe it was something that people worshipped back in the day. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a okay, symbol yeah. that stuck around for a long time. And I it's think a, I know what you're talking about. You know what I mean? I, it's like a cat with its paws in front underneath yeah. its head, and, and it kind of looks like a half person, half cat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. And look, I have the symbol up here. You see, just down in the dock? Uh-huh. That's what the symbol looks like for uh, Sphinx Chat. It's very cool. Yeah. Do you have any more questions, or are you going to let you know, no, um, me and Paul get into the meat yes. of the conversation? And get your beer. And grab my beer, yes, of Oh, course. my goodness. Yeah. It's, it's not quite drinking time where you are, pal, is it? It's, that's, okay. a, that's a helpful child. I, that's awesome. <laughs> well, nice you to meet you, Lauren. Well, and, and how old are you? You've got boys or you've got a mix? I do. I have two boys, um, 13 and 14, soon to be 15. And they're 
great fun to be around. It's a great age, right? You can just say, hey, let's go do cool stuff, and everyone gets in the car. You can go do all kinds of things. And I'm sure they're grabbing beers for their dad when, when need be. Yeah, no, they just make fun of me for having stuff. They're like, oh, gross. I think they tried it a couple times, and they just think it's disgusting, so they can't imagine why I would have something like that. So. Oh, you'll be reminding them of that soon, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Thanks, Lauren. Okay. Yeah. Bye. Bye, Lauren. Thank nice you. to meet you. Take care. Nice to meet you too. Bye. So, but I don't know where to kick this one off, man. Uh, we are we are gonna have so like like I said, we've got so much in common, so many overlaps. Um, but let's uh, let's go back to you know how we. How did you find yourself uh, growing up as a kid? What, what was life like? Uh, give us a, a little um, overview and um, maybe we'll just build on, on everything from there. Yeah, that's, a, that's fun. Uh, so yeah, I was born in the United States. My parents are from Japan and they came here to the United States in the late 60s. They ended up in South Carolina going to a very conservative, infamous school here called Bob Jones University. So it's a super conservative, I believe, evangelical school. I don't know that much about it, but I was born in South Carolina as a Japanese person. And so I grew up in the South. And so it was pretty cool to be um, probably different than everyone. You, everyone's familiar with uh, racial issues in the South, black versus white. It was uh, just interesting to be um, Japanese in that mix where you, you're not in either camp. And so I was able to float in between. And I found that to be after the awkward in the beginning, but after the fact, awesome to just grow up that way. Cause, um, you just start off with an outsider's perspective and you look at everything a little bit differently. So, um, I didn't realize that of course at the time, but afterwards it was, I realized it was a really formative part of growing up there. So then went to school in the Northeast and then ended up in California during the original dot-com boom. So I got up there in ni- late 1994 and uh, started an internet company and have been doing software and internet stuff ever since. And so I think I mentioned it before, but just being able to be there when HTML was developing and people were learning it and seeing it step by step, I didn't have to see it as a finished baked good. We saw all the stupid stuff people were trying, all the silly software projects. A lot of what you see now was happening then as well. And so being able to just pattern recognize around that, I think really helps these days. So going through these kind of protocol waves where it was first the internet, then it was voice over IP, um, mobile, and now you've got money. And this is the most fun one to go through. Yeah, it's amazing. Here we are, here we are at this turning point. And for whatever reason, you know, some of us have seen it and it's just such a privilege to be a, a part of that and to, to have conversations like this. Uh, do, do you mind if I ask you, know, why why did your parents decide to leave Japan? What what was the reason behind that and, and bring themselves across to the U.S. and, and build their family? Because you've got a lot of brothers and sisters, I believe, as well. Is, is I that do, correct? yeah. I'm one of six and um, my two oldest siblings were born in Japan, but... Um, I think it was really inspired by the, I'm, I'm not religious myself, but the religious upbringing of my parents wanting to kind of get closer to America. And I think that post-World War II Japan, um, they really had a ton of respect for the United States. Oddly, I never really understood the logic of that, but sort of just, hey, 
um, wanting to know more about the um, culture of the United States and really I think it was from movies and of clothing and I mean to this day um, culturally everyone seems to be interested in, in the, the US culture and so they came here wanted to experience it and um, it was tough not speaking English that well and being in the south it's not like today so it was um, probably a, you know a tough tough way to transition being a new immigrant but I, I think that um, that just going through all that benefited all of us so it made us all unique in our own way hugely brave decision this is this why I ask because I, it, it, it makes me wonder what makes people you know do that that they, they, there must be such a huge pull uh, to, to uproot your if they already had two kids at that point as well to your family and to take your kids into somewhere completely different, don't know the language, don't know the culture, and probably trying to, I don't know, did, did, he, did your father bring a business with him or he was trying to find work? What? No, it, and it, I, didn't, I didn't appreciate this at the time, but um, he was going to school full-time during the day and then um, working the night shift, inspecting parts at a chainsaw factory. So... Yeah, that was his that was his job. And then we had at that time, I think, five kids um, living in a trailer home in South Carolina. So it was at that. I didn't know any better, but I guess that's pretty humble beginnings. So it was it was an interesting time. So, yeah, I have lots of fond memories of childhood from back there, though. So, yeah, that's tight knit. So what, what do you think then kind of in that upbringing? I like going down these rabbit holes. Sure. Something predisposed us to finding Bitcoin or Bitcoin finds us, excuse me, but that there's something built in side of us. Uh, what, what do you think it is uh, for you? Yeah, that, that's a great question. I think for me, it actually started with the food angle where the one I recognize the most. I'm sure it goes much deeper, but I did question religion a lot. Um, in my upbringing so just kind of looking at what you're told and saying hey does this jive with my worldview do I agree with this do I feel this is true does this match with my reality and so um, being kind of an outsider helps right because you have to come up you don't have this lineage that you're handed down I had friends who were given the land that they lived on um, in the colonial era so they had that kind of thing where I feel like if you have that strong thread or strong opinions or tradition, then you're not really incentivized. Your instinct isn't question all this. I, you know, this land's been in my family for 150 years. I have aunts, uncles, anywhere. You have that kind of familial inertia, and maybe you feel like it's just the right thing to do, adopt that. So for us, I had no relatives around, just immediate family, and I didn't have the tradition of even of anyone who looks like me around me. So I didn't have any of that. Culturally, I'm not reading about um, Japanese issues or anything that has to do with Asia. It's all someone else's culture. So again, having that outsider's perspective really helped. Um, so, and then being able to have the time to think about all this when you're younger also helped. So we had a, in my family, we had religious, uh, we called, um, it was a religious get together, devotional or whatever, every day, twice a day growing up. and so. Um, I would spend a lot of time sitting there thinking about all these things um, instead of listening. I'll admit that now, but uh, I would just spend time thinking. And so maybe that was early day meditation. But if you're a teenager and you're forced to sit and think 
for 30 minutes in the immediate morning, hour, hour and 15 minutes in the evening, and just think about everything, I think that's almost a, a, an invaluable byproduct of having to sit there for that long. So um, maybe that was it. I'm not sure. I'm just guessing now. But And then later in life, just coming up with these different, pro seeing these different protocols develop, we saw what the internet can do with words, this ability to send ideas around the world over the internet. I mean, now we can send incentives and value. It's just a crazy capability. And so how can we not get fired up about it? No, we, we can't. So you, you mentioned food, and this is something that uh, is another passion of yours and one of your previous projects as well. Uh, let's 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 stick on that one because there's a lot of um talk about fiat food at the moment and that's exactly how i see it uh, i went through the same kind of transformation when i left my my uh, previous career where i spent a ridiculous amount of time just sat at a desk shoveling yep. whatever come across my desk into my mouth for breakfast yep. lunch and afternoon snacks you know um and of course, when when I stopped doing that and started learning a little bit more about uh, nutrition, uh, for me the um, uh, the the book um, "The Four Hour Body" by Tim Ferriss was uh, like a big eye opener. I mean, um, I know now he talks a lot about keto, but then he was talking about uh, you know, slow carb and whatever else. So I switched everything that I was doing, basically turned it on its head and dropped 20 kilos in like six to nine months. And I know you had the same kind of transformative experience. So I'd love to hear more about what brought you to that decision to, to even look at what was going on in the first place and what steps did you put in place and what did you create? Yeah, it's it's like, sort of like where to start because it's like boiling a frog or whatever, right? You you get fat without realizing it, and I I do think this is such a serious topic right now with COVID and um, the uneven impact it's had on people who have metabolic syndrome. There's just undeniable that there are these side you cannot ignore your health and expect to do well. I mean, and I feel like a message for all of us in Bitcoin we're in the middle of this huge transformation. We have kids, we have friends, you have this future that you wanna see have happen. And I feel like COVID accelerated all these things that happen. But if we're not actually taking care of our health and taking time out for it, then we're kind of doing it backwards. So if people are unhealthy and spending the you know, hundredth hour a week learning the minutia of say something about the technical nature of Bitcoin, but then you're not healthy like you went through and I went through. You just want to crab them by the collar and go, hey, you're doing it backwards, actually. So you're, you're not going to be around as long and you're not going to be as happy and as a confident person um, if you don't feel like the kind of person. It's not about looks necessarily, but it would just be like I would sit down on a seat in the plane. And then when you're 40, 40, 50 pounds overweight, your stomach is just pushing against your belt and it's like pinching, you're uncomfortable. You get up, I mean, your back hurts. I mean, it's just all those side issues of um, being unhealthy, right? And how you look is just an external manifestation of that and people treat you differently as well. But you look at yourself and you just don't feel as good. I, and I feel like after years of thinking about it, it's just, you don't, when you look in the mirror, you don't look like what you think you should look like. You're just like, this isn't me. I have kind of like this uh, 
you know, costume on that doesn't feel like you. And I feel like that's, it definitely causes some, some issues. And so if you can look like and feel like the way you should at your best, that's just the base level to then go try to do interesting things in the world and be a good friend and be a good dad or husband or whatever it is. But if you're starting off feeling physically like crap every day, you're literally fighting an uphill battle every single day. Even if you're trying to put these other objectives in front of it, you're just, you're just uh, literally dragging yourself down. So that's why I think it's so important. I don't know, ranting about that. But yeah, we, I, I got into, for me, it was really cutting out tons of carbohydrates. I mean, as a, as a Japanese person, I was just sitting there eating rice. I thought I was eating organic. I'm eating healthy. I'm doing all these things. And no one ever really explained that the contents and the composition of what you eat is what's communicating with your hormone system, which is controlling your hunger, which is then controlling your whole weight and everything around your health. And so if you change the contents of what you're eating and not just the quantity, that is a much more effective way of long-term health than say, hey, I'm going to starve myself. I'm going to eat lettuce and white white meat chicken and I'm going to eat under calories from what I'm using and no one ever tells you that you're setting yourself up for instant failure because no one can fight their hormonal systems for that long. And so really I think keto is shorthand for how do you communicate with your hormone systems through food and simple carbohydrates are basically hunger stimulants which you need sometimes but most people don't need any more of that. <laughs> so uh, if you get rid of that, it gives you the kind of space to actually eat less um, while not uh, spiking your hunger all the time. So that's really a simple trick that you can do with your body where you can quietly eat less than what you're burning. That does matter but you're not doing it while fighting off your, your, your hunger hormones that you, no one can do that forever, or you just drive yourself crazy doing it. Um, so that's really where the food side came into play. And then, of course, what we want to do now is build. So what we ended up doing is having a food system where we're very good at making extremely inexpensive repackaged carbohydrates. And so if you look back to row crops, and you look to food manufacturers and grocery stores, the, all of the profits are in taking cheap subsidized wheat, corn, soy, drying it out, pounding it, fortifying it with fake nutrition, and then putting it into a box where the packaging costs more than the stuff inside of it. And by the way, this is all um, using fertilizer that originates in fossil fuels, right? And then we truck that all over the place. And then you go to the store and they're just advertising this to you in your face, trying to trigger your brain and your dopamine receptors to say, yeah, if I have that Oreo, I'm going to feel great. And so the entire system is stacked against someone who's to actually live well from what we make all the way down to what you see in the store. So in order for us to fix this, we have to actually make different things in different ways and distribute it to people in a new system. And I don't think that's going to happen from the USDA. I don't think that'll happen through grocery stores. And we're not going to get this advice from the New York Times uh, nutrition columnists. 
We're not going to get this from Harvard Medical School. It's basically an eclipse attack in Bitcoin on your entire information about how you should be eating. And eating and sleep and exercise are root cause of health. So those are, I think all this stuff fits together, right? Because if you want to see change in the world and you're not around to, or you're not at your best self to enjoy it or affect that change, then you're kind of making it harder than it needs to be. It, I tell you, man, when I, when I realized everything that you just explained, I got so angry. It's, um, that was my, yeah, that, that was a tipping point for me. I watched a few documentaries. Um, I can't remember the exact ones. There's one called, uh, yeah, like Food Inc., uh, all the ones I think many people have seen already. And I was just like, holy shit, there's something here. There's like something really bad going on here. And then yeah. um, it fell down the rabbit hole a little bit further. And there was one really kind of under the radar documentary. And it was called Serial Killers, uh, spelled oh, yeah. as in breakfast cereal. Yeah. And I tell you, I got so damn hit up about that because when they go into telling you about, um, like you just explained, like the shit that's in the box is cheaper than the packaging. But then the lengths that the marketers go to, you, they, they know which um, shelf they've bought on the, um, the supermarket. Yep. So they adjust the cartoon character's eyes to the perfect angle to be looking directly straight at like uh, the kid that's aged between four and eight, whatever their market is, you know, like on the Coco Pops monkey or Tony the Tiger and all of this. I'm like, man, this is so damn bad. And then like you pick up the packet and you look at what's inside it and you're like, this is no wonder there is so many people out there with, with health problems, with diabetes, with, uh, you know, God, you know, bad skin, you know, whatever it is that, that, that can bring out these, these terrible um, knock-on effects and, and causes linked directly back to the shit that we... And as parents, this is what pissed me off because they're always doing the right thing. Yeah. You know, you, yeah. you, you pick up Weetabix or whatever because I grew up eating that stuff. Yeah. And then you think about a Weetabix or what did, what did the Aussies call them? Uh... Uh, I can't remember. Oh, they're, they're, yeah, they're going to be all over me. But yeah. um, your weedos, I think. <laughs> but you, you, you're you, told that's that's good for you, that's healthy, that's strong. It's got, in the UK, that has a royal seal of approval, that cereal. Yeah. Yeah. And think about what it is. It's probably a byproduct. It is a byproduct. It's swept up and packaged tightly into a brick shape. And then you take it out, and the only way you can make it any way palatable is to drown it in milk and sugar. <laughs> it's, it's just retarded. Um, it's unbelievable how we ended up here. And I, I hope the whole fix the money, fix the world thing, is it pans out. But in, in all honesty, people are on the downhill slope. If you think about debasing your savings, so you have only X amount of time in this world, right? If you, unless you believe in reincarnation. So the, it's not just the days you have, but the quality of the time you have as well, right? So how do you feel every day? Do you wake up fired up to do something or do you wake up dragging? How many people really wake up fired up? Not that many, right? So we're stuck in this trap. Um, if, if people are interested in this, I think, 
Georgia Ede, E-D-E, um, she does an amazing job of linking food with uh, kind of mental health issues, especially for young people. I, I believe she is a, a, a mental health, um, the heads mental health for undergraduate schools and uh, for an undergraduate school here in the United States, but she speaks very articulately about this issue, that what we eat is inherently tied to, to your brain function. Um, they're calling, um, if you look at the Buck Institute here in the United States, um, they're calling um, Alzheimer's type 3 diabetes. You have inflammation of the brain. I mean, this is not a stretch. And so if you look back to the root cause of food, do you want to have Alzheimer's when you're 70 and Bitcoin's through the moon, but you don't even realize it because you're out in space? Like, that's a sad story, but that's how it's going to end up for a ton of people who aren't paying attention to this issue. Um, and I think the Bitcoiners, I think it's so kind of, I don't know, it's, it's ironic that you see people outside of the Bitcoin space calling uh, something like carnivore a cult, right? Because it's so easy to poke fun of something like Bitcoin. If you're Warren Buffett saying, hey, this stupid electricity money that's just wasting power. If you don't understand something, um, it is so easy to poke fun at it as just being just a dumb idea that people are suckers for and they're part of this emotional cult. And you can say the same thing about keto. You can say the same thing about carnivore. But if you actually look at what's behind it, the people who are there, are under, they're looking down 10 different layers to get through all of this FUD. And the kind of person that's going to get through the FUD about money is also going to be the kind of person to go, hey, wait a minute, what else am, am I being lied to about, right? Is it education? Is it food? Is it relationships, mental health, um, land, nature? I mean, there's every topic someone has been spinning to us because it's profitable or gets them power. And then how do we go ahead and say, well, I don't choose to live in that person's reality that they've constructed for me. I would hate to, at the end of life, to go, wow, I was tricked this entire time. That's why you got mad, right? Imagine you figure this out when you're 70. And we have people who are using the app that we built with my wife and I, my business partner. They're 75 years old and going, they're so pissed off because they're saying, I have been overweight for 40 to 50 years. And you're telling me now that I was doing the opposite of what I should be doing. And then in their 70s, they fix it. They lose all that weight and they feel reborn, but they're 70. I mean, come on. And, and we're seeing, look at your, I mean, look at your kids, friends, go to school. Look at the kids in the United States, man. It is an epidemic of childhood obesity. It is sad. I mean, it is really, really sad. So what is that person who's growing up in when they're 10 years old, when they should be the fittest and happiest in their entire life, not a care in the world, and yet they're 40 pounds overweight, 50 pounds overweight. We don't even know what that person's pancreas is going to look like when they're 30. I mean, this could be irreversible. I hope not. But just think about the psychological damage of feeling like the fat kid and just not feeling confident when you're 12 or 13. Think about the knock-on effects of this for decades to come. I don't you mean to be what? depressing, but geez, it's like, no, how no, do no. we fix you, this thing? Yeah, how do we fix it? And, and let's, yeah, like you said, fix the money, fix the world, because it, it, that does happen. But I've, I'm glad you said that, 
because I've I've looked at this I've looked at it this way before as well and called it child abuse. And I think it fucking is. And I think, you know, you got to you got to you got to hold a mirror up sometimes and and ask yourself, I mean, we we it's so difficult. It is so difficult because we have been so marked like our whole lives we've been marketed to. And when was it? 1992, the food pyramid got turned upside down in the U.S. I think, uh, like the. Uh, I think it was 81. I believe it was 81 or 82. I think wow. it was earlier. Yeah, food pyramid stuff. Um, yeah, and then just uh, I mean, it dovetails right with education too, because you send your kid to school, and we homeschooled for a long time on our side. We have one son who's now going to kind of like a high school for skiers and stuff. But um, alternative education since almost day one. But when we volunteered for the school, they would drop these kids off who got free breakfast at school, right? So that's great. You got you know, a home without enough food or whatever, and you can get free breakfast. But what was breakfast? <laughs> Sugar cereal, orange mm-hmm. juice, and a plastic wrap Danish. So you got an eight-year-old who's eating probably 400 calories. 80% of those are sugar and carbohydrates. And then you're sending them into a classroom. You just, it's like giving uh, someone crystal meth and sending them into an office. I mean, you're, and and then, so then you got a room full of kids, 30 of them, who all eat something similar like that to breakfast. What do you think is going to happen? I mean, they're going to run out of it. They're going to go through the moon. Insulin's going to go up. Their blood sugar is going to crash. They're on this whole roller coaster all day long. And then you wonder why you have a spike in uh, attention deficit disorder. So now we're going to teach everyone, oh, well, you have this problem with your brain and you have to take this pill to fix your brain. This is how we set up the whole pattern. Um, Hey, you have type 2 diabetes. Well, inject this insulin. Don't change what you eat. We're going to give you this product that waves the magic wand. I mean, we're setting up people for dependency. Not that there's not real need for that, but is this a pattern we want to be applied to absolutely everything? Hey, you, can, you, you don't have the self-control to change anything, but we can give you this thing that waves the magic wand. It's very hard to be a sovereign individual when you're depending on all of these systems to fix problems that you may have been able to resolve. It's a trap, right? I, I, it, it sounds a bit conspiratorial, but it, it's kind of... It just feels like a trap. Like the whole ADHD thing drives me crazy as well. And I, I don't know whether you've caught an episode I did with a lady called Naomi Fisher, where no, she's right, man. Yeah, you'll have to check that one out. This is her thing. She used to diagnose that. She, that was her job. She's a child psychologist. And then she couldn't believe what she was seeing. And then she realized, my God, it's not the kids. It's the whole system. It's the, it's the system that they're exactly what you just described. You know, right. you, you can't sit down, and I'll use a Ken, so Ken Robinson's quote uh, from one of his talks, you can't sit an eight-year-old down and expect them to do low-grade clerical work for eight hours a day, right? It's just <laughs> the most genius. nonsensical thing. With, but with all that toxicity running through the... It's... Right. Sorry, go ahead. Finish what you're saying. Yeah, no, I was going to say, but with all of that toxicity running through their veins and all of the, the carrot and sticking that's going on in the, uh, in the classroom and all of the BS that you're dealing with in the, uh, the recreational playground or whatever else, 
Um, it's just... God damn it. It's broken. It's like, it's so broken. On but every it, level. Every single piece, from the food to the whole... I mean, we were talking about education here. Is The biggest... So, after thinking about this for a long time, I feel like the biggest condemnation of the way we've structured education today is that you remove you never teach the kid or the person to set their own objective you're handing kids an objective at every hour of the day finish this worksheet it's 9 a.m on monday it's math time this is the time to learn about english we're all going to read this one book together i don't care what you're interested in i don't care if you care about reading i don't care if you're boy girl whatever if this is the book we're all going to read it's insane. And so how can we be surprised after death by a thousand cuts that this person is not in love with learning after all this? Because they equate learning with being force-fed the topic of the day that's chosen for the convenience of the teacher and the system has nothing to do with the kid. But I think the irreversible damage is actually you can learn to read later. You can, learn, you can fix all these things later in life. But I think the one thing I don't see people healing is their ability to set their own goal. Once you have beaten the ability for you to choose, what am I motivated by? What do I want to do? I don't know if you can effectively put that back in. So anyone who's thinking about using the system for convenience to, to basically babysit their kids for six to eight hours a day, um, that, I think, is something you can lose, and I don't know if you can put that back in once it's been beaten out of a kid or just the kid never even realizes that they should be setting their own goals. Because then after college is done, they look for the next thing. I'm going to get my job. I'm going to get a better car, better house. You're just on this treadmill of goals that society is telling you is important. And for some people, I'm sure it is a fit. For, for a lot of people, it's not. And then they feel this kind of weird emptiness because... They don't really care about that bigger house or bigger car, but they're told that's what they should care about, and the entire system is set up to do that. So I'm very curious to see if people start to set their own goals. Um, we may see kind of a renaissance, or we might see chaos. I have no idea, but that should be at least interesting. And I think that the, the Bitcoin, um, the people who are attracted to Bitcoin... I mean, you, are, you had to swim against the stream to get there. And so at some point, you felt like, um, and I'm talking about the people who really understand it, not the people who happen to own some, because I know tons of people who own it who have no idea what it's all about. <laughs> and so, uh, but the people who, if you read that Sete white paper, I mean, you want to talk about understanding something, like that is an amazing document. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of inspired by stuff like that. So, yeah, there's a lot to, I want to touch on a lot that you just said there. Um, and, but winding back a little bit to the sure. previous thing about, um, you mentioned Buffett and he, what, what, and, and he's trying, you know, for forever to take down, to take down Bitcoin. And the fact that he calls it rat poison when he is, has made billions of dollars from coca-cola or uh, i think kellogg's as well I, you know if you look at some of the uh the, 
uh, sees candy. Sees candy, excuse me. It's it's shocking. It, I mean, that is actual toxic poison. And he sits there, and so does Manga. They sit there, they have the can of Coke on the desk whenever they do a CNN, whenever they do a squawk box. And he's just like, you guys are actually really fucking despicable. I, my only thing is I feel bad for both of them. I just feel bad for them, honestly. I mean, unless, if they're really as one-dimensional as they come off, then they're probably just blissfully ignorant about how sad their existence is. Um, yeah, it's, it's tough. You can be, what was he previously, the richest person in the world. He looks like hell, man. He couldn't possibly feel good. <laughs> I just look at him and go... Uh, you know, you can't, I, I mean, admire him for whatever accomplishments he feel like he's had. Sure, great, he's fulfilled it for himself. But look at him, he must feel terrible every day, all day. Like, it's physically uncomfortable to be, um, to be that person. And so, and, and to be pumping Coca-Cola just means he's just never, he either is a psychopath and never, and knows it and is promoting it, or he's just doesn't care enough because he he's got the money from it, so that to him is all that matters. So he's never going to look underneath it and try to evaluate his life. So he's basically living an unexamined life, one way or the other, or he's a psychopath. So um, that's pretty tough. I, I feel like honestly, that's the way I look at it. I feel bad for him, right? Like it's not a great legacy, that's for sure. And the other thing that you you talked about was the um, this this. The, the education system, and it's one, you know, I've, of course, I've done a lot of thinking about it myself and hosted a couple of um, homeschooling summits, um, interviewed some of the, uh, the the leaders in the space and really deep down into it, a lot of, a lot of exploration there. And I like to try and sum it up with, the, you know, the one thing school has an almost 100% strike rate at is, how, you know, beating the love of learning out of almost anybody that is subjected to it. And that's exactly what you were saying then. It's just incredible. It, it's, we're getting so much less out of the human race. That's the problem. Think where we could be, right? And this is what, um, you would have faced the same challenges that my wife and I have faced. You know, when, when you meet new people, you have that instant snap judgment. When they find out that you alternatively in air quotes uh educate your your children well what do you mean you homeschool what do you mean you world school what do you mean you you know your self-directed education what is that you just let them run around and do whatever the hell they like all day long and I mean if that's not education how they're going to get on in life well, how are they ever going to socialize and all of this kind of just nonsense how have you dealt with with that in in the, the years that uh, you've been doing this it's tough. I mean, a lot of times people's homes, the value of their home is tied to the value of the school district or the quality of the school district. So if you pull your kids out of school, the first thing, and they may not be able to articulate it, but you know you're hitting home because you're actually devaluing their biggest asset. So if you say, hey, this school district, I don't care who it is or what it is, is just not good at their job, and I'm pulling out, um, I'm no longer being a customer of their product, um, then you are hitting home on a lot of people. And, and my wife and I, it's not a convenient choice. When, but once you, you can't unsee the problem. And so um, we, we, it was uncomfortable to choose to do this. You're jumping off a cliff. Um, but 
part of this conversation could be just having been doing this for what 10 years now then um, we took risks that most people wouldn't want to take and we're okay with that we're kind of in a higher risk profile risk-taking profile people than most people and that's okay but they turn out fine they're they're happy they're they're self learners they just all the important stuff is still there I don't think they can spell worth a damn. Their handwriting looks terrible. I'm sure they have massive holes in what skills they can, but they can pick up those skills. They have the self-confidence to not care. They go, oh, what is, what is it I need to learn how to do to do the thing I want to do? They go learn it. Um, so my, my, the example I was telling last night to someone, I met a video game developer and I was telling him, I was trying to get advice for my son who oddly doesn't play video games but makes video games and so he programs in unreal and unity and um i think he was the first person to test the zebedee sdk that links lightning to um to uh, unity so he was trying to build a game using their library early on and and i think he was 13 or something at the time and so um, never really taught to code or anything, just all self-learned, but just says, hey, I want to see this exist. What do I need to do? The internet fills in the knowledge. Other companies like Zebedee doing super cool stuff, publishing open source SDKs. I think that's just incredible. Um, as a student, you can download thousands of dollars worth of software. You don't have to pay for anything. Um, and he had a really slow, crappy computer where it would have to render overnight. And, and so, but they don't care, they have time, whatever, just deal with it. And so, yeah, that, um, I don't know if that gets back to the question, but just uh, dealing with people early on, it, it definitely was nerve wracking, but now, um, it, but mainly we're confident in what we're doing. We know we thought about the choice and we're doing it. We are making other people uncomfortable by making that choice. And so I feel like just, you know, just not rubbing and not saying, hey, you should do this or anything like that. Just saying, explain matter of factly why we, why we made this choice and why we think it's best uh, for our situation. And, and I can't apply that to anyone else's. But what we would love to do is provide a template for other people who want to do this and be able to say, hey, and this has been on our to-do list for literally years, but just write down, this is what worked for our small group and it's a template that can be decentralized, very peer-to-peer -peer schooling, really. Um, it's possible to do it. You, you only need, I think, ideally 10 to 15 kids. You can do it for a couple hundred dollars a month. So um, it's within reach, and, I, and you can get funds in the United States, at least, to pay for the whole thing. If you pull your kid out, you get a budget from the district for... Uh, there's different ways to do that. So you can get actually, I don't think it's a, a money issue for most people if you live in a state where you can get some funds back that you're already paying in taxes anyway. So you're just trying to claw back some of that money to use in your own way. So I hope people do it. I hope that the future is um, thousands of micro schools that share resources, open source ideas. I would love to see one, let's say that one small class has a box full of Raspberry Pis, and you just ship that from micro school to micro school, and each school maybe adds to it or repairs little things and passes it along. Not every kid has to have every possible learning toy or tool. 
there are ways to share all these resources out there. So sharing economy meets school in a little way. So yeah, sorry, it's my, happening. Answer, my answers are so long. I, f- I apologize. <clears throat> no, I love them. I love them. And, and, and it is happening. Uh, yeah, my kids are on a, a platform called Galileo. I've had the, uh, the CEO on Vlad Stan, and he's talking about that uh, there's already over 200 students globally, 30, 40 teachers. The thing is just gathering steam like crazy. And then the next step is, you know, once all of this COVID stuff is done with and people can start traveling around again, it's, you know, going to be matching the, the online uh, clubs with uh, physical locations and different people running these little micro schools or running like a a boot camp of some sort, whether it's camping survival skills in the woods in Portugal or whatever, or whether it's a yoga retreat, you know, over here, or whether it's hiking up Mount Fuji, who, who the hell knows, right? It, it's, it, it gives me so much optimism for the future, decentralizing all the things, essentially, and, uh, you and know, just building. Go ahead. I was going to say, if you look at one massive, we've talked about sort of being hoodwinked on all these different levels. The college thing is huge, right? So I've, my wife hates it when I say this, but I, if my kids feel that they're compelled to go to college, I will view it as a failure of parenting. I feel like that's, I'll be, they'll have the option. I just be so disappointed. But if you look at the crazy tuition inflation, everyone's seen those charts of, um, you know, what people earn versus what college costs. And so you have all the, if I, t- if I talk to people out there, you hear so many people saying, hey, I don't love my job, but I got to pay for my house. I'm saving for my kids to go to college. That's the thing we all admire, you know, the parent that is putting away the money to be able to, um, to send their kids to the college that their dream college that they'd want to go to. And so what you're really looking at is, I'm going to do something that I don't feel excited about, but pays me, right, nine to five to do this thing, spend the best years of my life when your parent, 30 to 50 is when you're earning that money. And so you're like, hey, I'm converting my time doing an activity that is not inspiring to me. I'm getting fiat currency. I'm sticking fiat currency wherever I can to try to earn yield. And then I'm going to lump sum, take that money and pay it to a college, $200,000 for a private college, at least around here, right? So you took best earning years, stuck it in fiat, saved it, earned yield, paid it to a college so that your kid could go to this experience that I believe is irrelevant and to the future of at least what they need to know. So then everyone will say, well, it's about the socialization. It's about learning things unexpectedly. I agree with all of that. But is that price tag and that structure the only way to get the good things that we all think of in terms of, of young adults interacting in a college campus? Could you recreate that in some other way? I haven't crossed that bridge yet. I have some ideas. But to me, if you want to look at the true crime, this is like the seven-year-old who figures out that they were 50 pounds overweight for their entire lives for no reason, to tell an adult, yeah, you know, you saved up for 20 years, you did that job that you hated, you saved all that money, and you wrote a check to this completely corrupt institution that's teaching garbage, 
and you're sending your kids there for four years where instead of them experiencing something or making something or doing something, they're being indoctrinated in whatever the hell is being taught right now. I, it just, how sad is that on every level? Every level. And indoctrination is huge. It's, uh, and, and people might push back a little bit. So I just want to frame this up a little bit better. I had Peter Gray on the show and he talked about, you know, whatever your definition of indoctrination is, it's happening at the very basic level of, you, you, you know, you're being indoctrinated by the question. You're being indoctrinated to the answer because that's all they're looking for. So whatever the kind of definition you have of the word, you know, some people might be thinking, oh, well, no, it's not that way that it's not you know, that they're, they're not being nationalized and it's not, you know, a religious cult or in, in some private schools, maybe. But no, if you if you break it down to what they're actually doing to go and get those grades, they have to be indoctrinated to a certain set of questions and answers. It's nuts. And I think the core indoctrination there is do the thing we're setting out as your goal. I'm the institution, the school, the preschool is setting the objective. Sit still, do this clerical work. I love that, like low-grade clerical work for eight hours a day. And if you do this, if you pass this test, then you get on to the next test, and we'll tell you what that goalpost is. And and so, uh, yeah, the 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 college thing in in that kind of higher education, the way it is today. If you're going to be a surgeon, you definitely need to go learn some stuff. This isn't like you're going to unschool your way into operating on someone anytime soon. But the fact that that one or, or these kind of credentialed use cases becomes the default for everybody out there is so damaging to society that, um, and, and think about the parents. So, I mean, you know, we just don't buy into that. And hopefully this frees people up to do the things that they really care about, even if it means they're less well off in fiat terms, right? So yeah. this is a, a trade-off, right? It's it's funny. I had uh, you, you talking about um, you know failing at parenting. If if your if your kids decide to go to university and spend all that money, I had this. I had a bit of a blow up argument with my oldest daughter last night, who told me, "Daddy, once I've she chooses to go to school, like one of your sons, and it's like, yeah, okay, fine. Um, it's like it's purely bad, but you know that's a whole different." discussion the other three are self-directed and she said um yeah so once i'm done with these studies um she's in she's stuck in the positive reinforcement loop she's one of the better students so it's a complete trap then i want to go on to uh university and um you know study business i want to do a business degree and i just lost my shit i'm like (laughs) you want to go and study business from a professor who's never run a business like that doesn't make any sense at all. and you want to spend money for that like worst of all you you're gonna ask me to spend money for that i think you're barking up the wrong tree if you want to go and get a business degree i can help you we can reach into the network we can find a startup you, that's where you're going to go and learn about business yeah but i won't get the certificates and it's just like oh my god so this is what I'm facing right now. And I am way down the rabbit hole of alternative education. We've done it for years and years with our kids. But it's still, it's still tough, man. It's really, really tough. I, aside from being a hermit, there is no solution, right? I mean, this is the hard part. I can talk about 
food. But then when we go out to eat with friends and all our friends are doing this, am I going to be the parent that makes them be the weirdo every time? No, I'm not. I mean, I do, but I'm not every time. (laughs) And the same thing, like, I think different kids want to be part of different groups. And if all of your friends are talking about that, then it may be unhealthy. It's maybe worth it to go to college in that situation because the person is more comfortable there. Your daughter might be more comfortable with that pathway because forcing someone to be outside of their comfort zone before they can is counterproductive too. They have to choose, right? We, we, in our family, we talk about um, the theory is, is that uh, um, physical, choosing to be physically uncomfortable um, either just being cold, being tired, being sweaty, whatever it is, for your own goal. Like you believe that hiking to the top of that mountain or skiing that run is worth it. And so you're willing to put yourself out there and freeze or do whatever because the goal is, is worth overcoming those hurdles, right? And so I think that that physical side when they're young translates to mental toughness. That's the hope here, right? So that you want to have the mental fortitude and early on, instead of kind of testing people mentally over and over again, it's training their body. And then over time, they go, oh, I, I didn't think I could make it, but I did. And it gives you that little boost of confidence. You put that in the bank. And then later, when you're stressed about something, hopefully that translates over to being able to survive that stressor. And so if someone is saying, hey, I'm choosing this path, and I don't want to look into why. I want to go to college, get this degree, get the certificate then they're staying in that comfort lane for a reason. And the, the question is, okay, can, there, can you go off topic, give them confidence in something else that they then bring over to go, hey, you know, I don't really feel the need to follow the herd on that path. And they'll choose to bounce out of that path when they're ready to do it. That's the way we've tried to do it is kind of almost like create an alternative in the road and let them try to choose it but never say, hey, you have to take this fork in the road because then that is just the same thing where we're teaching them, we're telling them the answer. Um, My thing is if it doesn't cause permanent bodily disfigurement, then let them try it. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it's hard to do. Watching failure is tough, but how else do you learn, you know? So it's just just impossible to tell them this is going to be a problem. I mean, would you have listened? I wouldn't have listened. And do you want someone that is going to listen to the answer externally? Probably not. So um, would I want to pay for that mistake? (laughs) No. (laughs) That's the flip side. No, probably not. Time time to get that summer job, you know, so. Absolutely. That's uh, that that was one of the that was one of the um, parts of the discussion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You better go start stacking some stats. You know, well, if you really want it, you'll do it, right? I mean, exactly. I, I washed dishes all through college. I was a TA. I, wor- I think I worked twenty five hours a week, and uh, and um, yeah, never, never really. I don't think took much money for for college. And then the sad part was afterwards, I realized for me it was not a great fit for me. I mean, it was a great experience, but. Um, it was not a great use of the four years of time for me personally. And I never asked the question, should I go to college? It just was what you do. Right. Unbelievable. We just never, never raised the question, right? So, 
But I hope we yeah. haven't been too depressing uh, talking no, each other man. through this stuff. But no, it's it's cool. I, I've just I've just looked at the time. I'm like, we're an hour in. It's like, mm-hmm. holy shit, the listeners are going to be thinking these fuckers going to talk about Bitcoin at any stage. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to, love to. So, yeah. um, so here's the thing, right? You you know what we've talked about so far, um, making other people uncomfortable, especially when they see your actions and what you're doing, whether you're out for dinner with some friends and you turn down the appetizers or you turn down dessert or something and that makes everybody else feel uncomfortable at the table because of the way you have chosen to choose your diet, then your lifestyle is completely different as well because you choose to be an entrepreneur. Straight away, you're a weirdo because you are you don't have a nine to five. That makes no sense. Yep. You don't have an office yep. to go to. That makes no sense. And then you're homeschooling your kids and they're like, whoa that's just an attack on all of my senses and then just to put the cherry on the cake you're like oh yeah and by the way the whole monetary system is fucked it's bullshit and you don't want to ever hold fiat money i know we don't obviously say this as as maybe we should say it more and more but bitcoin and this 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 pushback that we face is the same pushback that you got for um your, your keto app from those 70 year old people just like this anger yeah. and it's it's bam that is so in your face that's like wait money's been a whole life my whole life yeah. everything I've done everything I've earned everything I've worked for everything I've bought everything I've strived for my whole incentive structure has been based on an absolute total fast that's so damn hard when did you realize and how did you realize and how angry did you get i mean it really i came to to understand bitcoin through lightning so it wasn't that long ago for me i mean i i wasn't as shocked by it by other people because i'd gone through the food thing right so you go through the food thing for you and me, I think, was our just, you know, emotional response where it was just, I cannot believe we're doing this to all these people. But the Bitcoin thing is just, I came to it and go, of course, like, yeah, education's broken, um, food's broken. Why wouldn't the money be broken, too? And then when you go down the, the structure of how broken it is and how recently the crazy part was is just that I never questioned um, the structure. You just go, okay, it's, this is the way it is. It's always been this way. This is EMC squared of finance, right? This is just the truth. Uh, and so, yeah, this is it, – it, it really is um, – it really is the how do you store your time and skill. So if you have time – Times ability equals value. Where do you put time times ability and what do you choose to store that value in? And then if fiat is your only choice and where you're born, whatever fiat is local to you, Argentina, Nigeria, whatever it is, your ice cube is melting a lot faster than our ice cubes are melting. And to not have the choice to be able to, or the knowledge to turn that into something that's more lasting is literally, I mean, it is stealing life from people. It's crazy to me um and then i do believe in the kind of social or or just the back of your mind when you have an inflationary environment um just the whole time preference thing does change 
right? Where people are rushing to spend. I mean, ask anyone. We have a developer from Argentina who tells the story of being young. When you get paid in the morning, you try to spend it as fast as possible in the in the hyperinflation era, right? And so we're just we're just it's not thrown in our face in the way it was there. But the same thing is happening. Where how fast can you get this fiat and then turn it into something as quickly as possible? And we're sort of feeling that now in the U.S. I mean, we're seeing housing prices, steel, lumber. I mean, my kids tried to build a bike ramp yesterday. And a piece of plywood that's normally $27 at Home Depot was $82. The oh kids God. took a picture of it because his dad's in construction. He showed me a picture. He goes, $82 for exterior grade plywood, eight foot by four foot. Think about that. Like, that is mind boggling. So, yeah, I mean, that's the Bitcoin part. And then the lightning part for us is really. And you and I talked about this, I think, in our first conversation. But and I think Elizabeth Stark talks about this too. Is just hey, Bitcoin has is a speculative asset. People are investing in it in the layer one. So you want you're you're storing your time in Bitcoin, in the belief that it is the safest place to do so. It's safer than fiat. It's safer than gold.、Um, And the hope is, of course, the number goes up as more people recognize this value, and there's more demand for something that has a decreasing supply. It's like not rocket science as to why you would want to do that.、Um, and I think Bitcoin is 100% fine with just that. I mean, just that. Like fixing the base monetary later is a big deal. But now, if you want to take this down to people who have、um, A different level of income, right? We're talking people who are making two dollars a day. If this asset is really going to be spread all over the place, which I think there's value to doing this before the hyper Bitcoinization happens, would be how many humans care about this asset? What's the sort of Gini coefficient here, right? And so that, to me, is where stack work comes into play: is being able to give people the opportunity to turn their time in a mobile phone. Into satoshis, and then can we spread that out to as many people as humanly possible, as early as possible, and so that some of them will never、um, have an on-chain transaction,、uh, and they will be sort of born into Lightning. And、um, so I think that Lightning is a technology. Bitcoin doesn't need Lightning to do what it needs to do. That's the whole idea of this layered money. It's agnostic to something that's above it. Right, and Lightning should never do anything. We should never do with anything with Lightning that threatens the safety of the layer one. Then we're all going down, right? The, you don't never want to mess up the foundation.、Um, and so, to me, this idea: a lot of people who came into Bitcoin through layer one, I would look at Lightning and go, "Well, for my use case, I really don't need Lightning. It's just sort of." Uh, fancy technology that's like a, a bunch of stuff that I don't really care about because I'm not going around and buying stickers or coffee with my Bitcoin. And so, to me, the, the ability to look at Lightning as a way for people to on ramp onto Bitcoin, but instead of having savings and cash to do so, buy it on an exchange, get Bitcoin. This is saying I don't have ex- extra cash, but I have extra time. So I can actually take time and convert that into small amounts of Bitcoin, and it just happens to be stored in a channel on Lightning instead of a UTXO on my own hardware or on my off-chain wallet or whatever, however you store it. So t- to me, that's really how、um, I think 
the people who originally came into Bitcoin can look at Lightning. And then for me, the people who are kind of Lightning focused think about layer one. It's really, a, 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 to me, a team effort um, that just is for different audiences. Uh, and then down the road, the ability to um, do micropayments and to do all the stuff with podcasting as an example. But it'll be hardware to hardware. This is like the boom of the internet. You, when the internet was, came around, when you saw a web page in 1995, you did not go, oh, TikTok's going to happen on a mobile phone, right? And that's an example everyone likes to use. But the same way now, we look at Lightning, the ability to flow valued across borders in micro amounts for almost no fees in real time, where you have instant settlement, you own the asset, there's no backseas, there's no refunds, it is done. To be able to do that on Bitcoin is amazing. To be able to do that on Lightning, in these tiny increments opens it up to the entire world's population because you can basically take the amounts to near zero. So no one is cut out of this new economy and new way of interacting. And to me, that's just the most uh, democratic thing you can work on is it's just uh, going to hopefully um, reach everyone. Yeah, it's amazing. And, you know, I was I, I was the reverse of you. I came in um, a base layer guy, you know, buying it on an exchange. You know, I was I at that point had an 18 year old, uh, an 18 year career and um, I had some savings. I had some expendable cash and, you know, I could do that. I had that privilege. Uh, I had the privilege of working in foreign exchange markets. So I understood how exchanges worked. I had that you know base knowledge as well. So for me, it was a very natural thing. It was just an investment um, part of my portfolio, um, but and I did, you know, I didn't really ever kind of go down the, the lightning rabbit hole until very, very recently, and really now getting very excited about what it can mean for everything that you've just said, and I see it so clearly, you know, for my kids, for example. They're, they're, like the base layer might not even be a thing for them, you know. Yeah. Hope, hopefully, I've done enough that that that's so I could, that they'll you know that's sorted. They'll never touch it. To your point, but lightning that's begin that will become their that's what they're gonna that 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 will be in their everyday speech. Send me a lightning payment, yeah, or you know the, the, you know uh, the, whatever um, kind of words they come up with. And that's truly, truly something. And I spoke to Michael from Bitcoin Beach about, you know, the project he's doing in El Salvador. Exactly what you're talking about. Like, you know, the, the, the local taco seller that is taking those tiny micro payments might never know the base layer exists ever, but nope. can now interact and store value in their phone in their hand and watch that value accrue and change everything that they see around them and, and the way they interact with the world and you know their their business and how to grow their business it, it's it's crazy man it 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 lights me up and the way i look at it is in a world where bitcoin becomes the reserve currency do we really think that all this technology that's built on the free system out of necessity because it was built before Bitcoin existed. Well, all this web, email, 
phone apps, everything. Will will that still exist in this no world in this new world? I can't see any version where that will actually take place. Um, it will get a new parallel stack, and we'll build this new parallel system where you'll have your own schooling system. You'll have your own. You have your own money. You have your own food suppliers. You won't need to go central with that scale. And I think that Lightning really enables that peer-to-peer -peer bartering network where the value, as you're talking about with your kids, when your kids interact with something, they won't even think in terms of payments. They will think of value flowing. As someone's listening to this podcast, they're going to be flowing you sats with every minute. And then um, it's a real-time reflection of the exchange of meaning between people. That's kind of a cool concept that every second or, or, or close to that uh, the value is reflected I'm giving you value you're giving me value it's more like plumbing with fluid flowing than it is this kind of I paid my $10 monthly Netflix subscription um, that structure is really built because of the way credit card payments work you batch it together in 30 days even though no one thinks humans don't think in that kind of term they think about just using a product or paying. They don't think about, oh, and on this 30th day, I will pay this fee for the next 30 days. It's just the way the payment system is built. But anyway, I should probably, we don't want to bore people to death. We're, we're incentivized to make this as long as possible so you get streamed as many sats per minute as possible. But hopefully <laughs> no, but that was... Well, let's talk about Sphinx and, and yeah, yeah. That, that whole thing because uh, hopefully I am set up now. I've been working with uh, the team behind the, the scenes to get my node up and, uh, and everything. And so the node is all connected. Somehow, because I think I've made a mistake somewhere along the lines, I've got, I think I've got a tribe on an Android device and a tribe on a Mac <laughs> device. So I've, I've got to figure that out. Got to merge um, them together. But man, what you've built, you know, I I didn't ever expect to be a podcaster. I wasn't a podcaster, you know, fourteen months ago. That that, that made no sense. Yep. You know, and now, what you're building, uh, with, you know, w with my knowledge and and love for Bitcoin, for me to be able to interact with people who get value from listening to the show, and all be part of the same group, and uh, you know, have them. Um, like convey that value if they choose uh, via lightning payments this is like redesigning the whole thing like this you know as Adam Curry says podcasting 2.0 right this this is a whole new paradigm and I find it very very exciting so yeah just please give us the nuts and bolts of, of what's been going on and, and where you guys are at right now and the kind yeah. of growth you've seen and what you expect yeah, so we, um, we're still in the early phase. Like our next goal, so, so um, people who've made it this far probably know that you can now listen to podcasts. It, it's built on top of the podcasting 2.0 index. So Adam Curry, Dave Jones basically did the hero's work of taking now 3.8 million, I think, 3.7, 3.8 million RSS feeds that were previously locked behind the Apple Spotify and Google walls, corporate walls. And when they saw that those previously open directories were starting to censor certain shows, 
they knew the only answer was to pull it all back, re-index them all, collect them from all these different parties, and build a true open source decentralized version of this index. Basically, not Apple, not Spotify. And so we use that directory to let your podcast show up in the Sphinx app. And then you can choose to set the value slider per minute so that certain number of sats are sent for every minute you listen. You're able to express your appreciation for your work on this podcast. And so I, as a listener, can send you 100 sats a minute, which ends up being a couple bucks an hour um, that I'm sending my appreciation. And if I stop listening, the sats stop moving. So. Um, you as a content provider can see exactly what value people are getting. Um, and some people can listen to free. You're getting value from that too because they could tell a friend. Other people are getting huge value from something and just hitting that boost button where you can get kind of an extra expression of appreciation. And so that can be applied to people are doing adult content. People are doing guitar lessons. Um, people are doing, they'll come up with every way of interacting on these tribes where you can gather your fans together and those fans can compensate you for the value you're providing or you can also be someone who's gathering people together and they can be compensating each other for doing it. We're just taking what exists in marketplaces and clubs and Patreon and what everyone's been doing out on the old web with credit cards and basically making this available over Bitcoin and Lightning. It's amazing, man. And then people can, you know, you, you're in that tribe together and people can chat with each other totally private. That, yeah. that's, a, that's another killer thing that I think you should explain to people. Yeah, so everything in Sphinx is encrypted before it leaves your device. And so you have a key that never leaves your own hardware. And then once you write a message, if I say hello world, it's encrypted on my phone and then I hit send, it goes across the Lightning Network. Some, we, for now, for the first time, have more home node users than hosted node users. We host nodes as well. Um, but people can run them on a My Node, um, Umbral, Raspberry Pi Blitz. <coughs> and so we support kind of both models. And, but no matter what kind of node you use, your message is always encrypted on your device. So no one can actually see it unless they have access to your device. And on the tribes, anyone can actually host a tribe on their own node, or they can rent one from us, or Noddle, or get voltage. And then, uh, for many people, running it in their house, it's like why you wouldn't host a business's website in your house. You just, it's not the most uh, you know, stable environment for internet and power. So um, we believe there will always be the need for hosted nodes out there. And so that's how the tribes work. You can host. Um, through a node, you set the rules for how you want people to interact, and we have built-in spam protection, um, which I think is underappreciated that by having to require people to stake some Bitcoin every time they write a message, and if the admin, you as the admin of your tribe, ever mark something and delete it, then that message, you keep the stake that came along with that message. And so there's just this kind of background pressure to encourage good behavior. And it makes people who want to spam across lots and lots of groups an expensive proposition to do it. They'll, it'll cost them real Bitcoin to do that. So this is, goes back to Adam Back's work with Hashcash, which is you have to have some skin in the game. Otherwise, it becomes a complete mess, which is what we see on the Internet today. And 
one other thing which is very very interesting and i think i've heard adam talking about this or, or maybe yourself is this um it, it kind of protects freedom of speech this system yeah do you want to delve into that and and why you uh how you see that yeah, I mean, it's freedom of speech and freedom of assemble and freedom of earn. Those are the three kind of human rights we try to tackle. And so by A, making things private before they leave your device, that's really important. And then B, the nature of the Lightning Network is it's peer-to-peer. So as much as I hate what you say, Daniel, I can't kick you off of the Lightning Network. I cannot join your tribe. I can join your tribe and post a bunch of insults and then you remove those and keep my Bitcoin, I'm gonna probably get tired of that at some point. Um, So I can't really stop you from being you, and I can't stop people from listening to you as much as I do or don't disagree with what you're saying. So instead of all of us, as we were talking to Lauren about earlier, needing Facebook's permission to connect with each other, we're basically saying, hey, I'm my own node on the Lightning Network. I can link to and communicate with other humans and nodes on this network. So I can't, no one can stop me from existing on this network. And no one can control who I want to associate with on this network. And that's freedom of speech and freedom of assembly. And then, by the way, the same network transfers Bitcoin, freedom to earn. So now I've got all three things, no matter where I live. and I feel like that's the foundation for something pretty interesting out there. And there's one extra pillar of that as well. And um, I'm sure I heard Adam talk about it at some stage where he was talking about, you know, think about ads. Yeah. You know, podcasters are very reliant on, on ads if they want to turn this into something that is, is going to support their families. But with this model, of course, with, with an advertiser, uh, you 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 probably locked into X amount of minutes at the beginning, X amount of minutes in the mid roll, and then at the end. And whoever's sponsoring you that month, they might not want you to speak to one of their competitors, or they might have a blacklist of things that you're not allowed to talk about, etc. That's not freedom of speech, right? You you, you are being controlled. Right? Yeah, it's self it's self censorship, which is we talked about it being the worst kind. It's the insidious self censorship that you and I don't even. <clears throat> realize that we're censoring ourselves because it's habituated in the background and so let's look at podcasting in order to even get an advertiser you have to be at a certain scale so now when you think about you're not thinking about what do i care about what do i want to talk about you're starting to think what do lots of people care about so i can get an advertiser you just self-censored yourself you you changed what you would normally say and believe in order to have an outcome that's not necessarily aligned with the people you're trying to reach and talk to, right? So you have this ghost in the room that you're thinking about. And then, you know, you might limit what you say uh, to not offend the ones you have. So along the whole way, you have these invisible guardrails that you're staying in between um, that's enforced by this advertising model, which wasn't an accident in the entire in the first place. We, we, advertisers stepped in to pay for free services because there was no currency in the beginning to let you do it. So now it wasn't some conspiracy to make it happen that way. They stepped up and paid for it and it worked. And these free services got huge. Um, and then we're dealing with the fallout of that, those centralized advertiser paid services. But now software has become 
so easy to run locally that you don't need one of these big companies to run the software for you. Um, and you don't need them to tell you who you can talk to. And now you don't even need them to tell you who you can pay. So they have no use in this new world. Um, but the legacy model will last a really long time. There's just no way for them to stop this world from growing. And there really is no, the, the value of the role they play is decreasing all the time. So let's build our own social graphs through associating with tribes. Let's not let someone else own your graph. Let's not have someone else show you what you should be looking at. You should store your own preferences and your node should learn what you value based on what you pay for, right? What does Daniel listen to? What does he, what does he click on first? Well, you want to teach your node all that because it's your, it's on, he's on your team to help you live your life more efficiently. And so you actually want to encourage that training to happen. And that's what I've talked about being the next phase here is people really building their own assistant and training it. And then you get all the benefits that these, the Googles and the Facebooks have, have efficiency. They, they have provided some efficiency, but now there's no reason to trade your privacy for their efficiency. You can get better efficiency in your own private world. And that's what we want people to do. Man, it's such an amazing, like, when this epiphany hit you, were you like, oh my God, <laughs> did everything fall into place at the same time or was it a no, slow no process? Way. <laughs> I think the first thing was, and I've uh, posted a couple times, is I just, I read the lightning white paper and then shortly later I read an article about why Brian Acton left WhatsApp. It was in Forbes magazine and it just said, hey, he quit over privacy things. And I just wrote an email to my wife saying, hey, I think we can do messaging over the lightning network. Why not? And that was the start of it. That was a lot. Of it. <laughs> Holy crap! Yeah, yeah. man, that's cool. amazing. Well, listen, I've kept you far too long. I really appreciate uh, you going I'm late, down. I'm all late of for these my next call. So I, yeah, okay. so I'll, I'll um, be in touch. And thanks so much for listening to all those rants about no, our, our very. We didn't even get into uh, um, kind of the digital nomad life too. So we'll we'll talk about that offline sometime again. Well, we'll do a part two. I'm sure uh, people will be interested in hearing that. Take care. Thank you so much, Paul. All right. See you. Well, guys, you're still here. You're still listening. That was an absolute banger. And if you haven't heard Paul on Marty's show, Tales from the Crypt, that's the other episode that's out there at the moment with him on it. Hopefully, he's going to start doing a few more and hitting the scene because he's ready to start talking about Sphinx. And I know... (laughs) Paul, I'm sorry, brother. We, we did. I think we did about an hour and 15 minutes before we even started talking about Bitcoin. And it's a shame that you had to jump off. It was my fault. I, I you know, we, we went down too many different rabbit holes, and you had to jump off to your next call. And I'm sorry if you were late for that. Sphinx is an amazing project. Please go and check it out, guys. Learn as much as you can about it. I have my podcast on Sphinx. You can join the tribe there. It's growing very, very slowly. You can keep an eye out on Twitter. Every now and then I put out the link. I'll put the link on the show notes as well. Uh, But it's a cool way for everybody just to start building up and meeting each other and uh, texting each other without spying eyes. You're not going to get deplatformed. You're not going to get spammed. We are talking with each other over the Lightning Network. And if you want to support the show, it's a great way to do that because you listen to each show directly through the app. 
and you can stream very minuscule payments of sats and it would be an amazing way to support the show and i think in five years time content creators probably will get to the point where they will not have to rely on advertisements and they can just completely interact with their own tribe brilliant project love it guys thanks for listening to the show make sure you check out the sponsors you can go over to once-bitten.com and you can find the sponsors tab you will find the usual culprits there coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten so you can go and start stacking sats in the uk you'll also find across europe a great service relay r-e-l-a-i dot c-h forward slash bitten that will save you on commission you can start uh, fiat cost averaging out of euros and swiss and then over in the states across the pond guys big big thanks for listening it's amazing you guys tune in from over there and, and listen to uh to us on this side of the pond and interested in you know the kind of work that's going on really appreciate your support swanbitcoin.com forward slash bits and make sure you start stacking your sats they've got every single state covered and then it's really important I'm not the only guy that's going to tell you this. Please take control of the Satoshis, of the Bitcoin that you have collected. Or if you are starting to stack, get ahead of the game and find out about hardware wallets. You can go to shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten and order yourself a Bitbox 02 Bitcoin only edition hardware wallet. Be safe, stack safe. And I look forward to the next show. Thanks for listening, guys.